Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 30. And then I also like you to put your hand in Joshua chapter 6, because there is a context to this one passage. And as you're turning there, let me have a word of prayer. Lord God, I desire to preach today, but I go weak and needing needy to my task yet Lord I long for your people that they may be edified by divine truth give me assistance today in preaching I lean upon your spirit and I trust in your presence and I ask you Lord that you would together teach us how to live by faith and I pray this in Christ's name amen been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, the honor roll of faith, and I've been saying week after week we have seen God's faithful believing and putting their faith into action because faith is an action word. It's not a sit in a pew word and do, no, pew word and do nothing. It's an action word in your life. Every day you wake up, you're to have faith. It's been displayed to us by God the honor roll of faith, which your name could easily be in here, what faith is and what faith does. But the truth is, everybody lives by faith. The difference, really the only difference between biblical faith and non-Christian faith is the object of our faith. The critical issue is what you believe or who you believe in. That's the critical issue. Telling people to live by faith is invalid if they have no understanding of the object of their faith. It means nothing. You can't have faith in faith. Faith has no validity without an object. Some of our faith objects are valid, others aren't. For instance, suppose you are driving a car and you see a green light. You would probably drive right through the intersection without taking a second thought that you just did that by faith. In other words, first, you believed the light was red in the other direction, even though you didn't see it. And secondly, you believed the driver coming from the other direction saw the red light and would stop. Right? We do it all the time. That's a lot of faith. But if you didn't believe it, you wouldn't go through many intersections. But most stoplight intersections have tended to be reliable, or you would not be sitting here this morning. And so what, we, what tends to be reliable, we tend to trust. You see, we tend to trust people or things that have proven to be reliable over a long period 
of time. For example, most people accept by faith the fixed order of the universe, primarily the solar system. You set your watch, you plan your calendar, you schedule your day, believing that the earth will continue to rotate on its axis and revolve around the sun at its current speed. If it did not do that, we would be in big trouble. Someday it's not going to do that. So far, the laws governing the physical universe have been among the most trustworthy faith objects we have. And God placed them there. The God who created the world placed them there. But what happens when the faith, the object of our faith, proves unreliable? What do you do with it? Well, you may, you may bear with it for a while, but then finally you give up on it. And you say, ah, it's unreliable. You would be foolish to trust someone or something that has proven to be unreliable over and over and over again. That's not wise. The ultimate object, of course, is not the Son or the universe, but the Son, Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not a man that he should lie, it tells us in Numbers. Has he said it? And will he not do it? The fact that God is immutable or unchangeable makes him eminently trustworthy. God cannot change. Isn't that good? God has to keep his word. He can't go back on his word. He can't violate his word. See, the eternal consistency of God is why we can have faith in him and why we can put our trust in him every second of every day. And has not the writer of Hebrews given us sufficient evidence that Jesus Christ is the believer's only legitimate object of faith? Hebrews already told us about some things about our object of faith. It's, he said this about him, that God, he is, Jesus Christ, is God's final revelation, the heir of all things. That he is the creator of the world. That he is the radiance of God's glory. That he is the exact imprint of God's nature. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That he made purification for sin. That he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That he is God enthroned forever with the scepter of righteousness. That he is worshipped by angels. That he rules as an authority that his rule will have no end his joy is above all things in the universe he took on human flesh he was crowned with glory and honor because of his self-sacrifice he was and is the founder of our salvation 
He was made perfect in obedience by His suffering. He destroyed the one who has the power of death, the devil. He delivered us from the bondage, from bondage and fear. He is merciful and thankful, the thankful high priest. He made propitiation for our sins. He is sympathetic because of His own trials and knows our deepest needs. He never sinned. He offered up loud cries and tears to God, and God heard him. He became the source of eternal salvation. He upholds his priesthood by virtue of an indestructible life. He appeared in the presence of God on our behalf, and he will come a second time to those who eagerly wait for him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who he is. Can he not be trusted for our eternal salvation? See, when people struggle with their faith in God, it is not because their faith object has failed or is insufficient. It is because they don't have a true knowledge of God and His ways. Faith in God fails only when people have a faulty understanding of the God of the Bible, of the God of the universe. So please, write this somewhere down in your Bibles. Please. Write it in your Bibles. Write it on your iPads. Wherever you're looking at the Scripture, write it down. Type it in. Do what you need to do, but write this key thing down. If you want your faith in God to increase... You must increase your knowledge of God, and your knowledge of God must come from God's Word. If you want to increase your faith, then you must increase your knowledge of God. So every time you hear the Word of God preached, and you're listening and understanding, your knowledge is growing. Every time you have a Bible lesson, you read the Scripture, you're doing a devotion, you're listening to Scripture and real preaching on the radio, if there is such a thing today. All right? If you're doing that, then you are growing in the knowledge of God if you're interacting and think about, thinking about what God is communicating to you. Because in the Word of God is God's Word. It's not man's Word. That brings me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. For it says this, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, you may have read that, passed over that, didn't think much about what it says there in that passage of Scripture, but it says tons about real faith. Joshua, Caleb, and the new generation of Israelites could not have fought the battles ahead of them if the object of faith was not God himself. They cannot be wavering between God's way and the world's way of meeting the Jerichos of life. Because all of us will have them. It was John Piper who said, God is enough. God is good. He will take care of us. 
He will satisfy us. He will get us through. He is our treasure. And God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. See, that must be, and that is what God's doing in your life. He is building your faith. So Joshua and the new generation of Israelites is a picture of going after the promise. God had brought the people to the edge of the Jordan River through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They saw many funerals. In fact, if you probably do the math, there probably was several funerals a day, maybe more. So all that they do, did was kept burying people. Of course, God said that a certain group of people would not go into the promised land because of their sin against him. And so God kept that promise too. See, God not only keeps the promise of doing good, he also keeps the promise of holding his justice and carrying out his wrath. His promises are good on both sides, not just on one side. God does keep his word. So the promised land is just on the other side for the people. And now they have to engage in battle. God says it's yours, but you've got to fight for it. You're going to win, but you have to fight. You have to go get it. In other words, they had to take their spiritual weapons that God had given them and step out in faith. Remember last time, I was in this passage of Scripture right before it. I ended with three things we learned from Moses' faith. And the first one is we overcome difficulties by faith in God's power. We overcome fear by faith in God's presence. And we avoid God's wrath or judgment by faith in God's provision. And the provision was the blood that was was put over the doorpost, and of course, when God saw the blood, he passes over them in judgment, and when somebody comes to Christ, the blood of Christ is now over you, so in God's justice and judgment, he passes over you, not because of you, not because of what you've done, but because what Christ had done, and it's all of grace that God gives you. And grace is risky. It really is risky, because God's done it all. His word points us to note for the purpose of implementation that it is the four indispensable actions we find in Joshua chapter 6. If our faith is going to be victorious, the indispensable components of obedience, of focusing on our object, the object of our faith, a faith of reliance on God and, of course, of shouting or praising God. Once God does something in your heart, you just can't keep silent. you got to say something. you got to shout. you got to clap, right? you got to sing out those praise songs. Because you know what? We're experiencing a little bit of heaven before we get there. We're learning how to live in the presence of God before we actually get into the actual presence of God with resurrected new bodies someday. That's the hope we have. That's the promise that God's given us. That's where we're going. 
So here's the first thing. Let's go over to Joshua chapter 6 and notice from this passage of Scripture in Hebrews, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days. Let's go see the background of this passage and we're going to see that when he mentions this passage in Hebrews, he's talking about obedience. The evidence of faith is obedience. How do you know someone believes they obey God. That's how you know. There's the evidence of faith. Obedience. I obey God. I obey His Word. I obey His provision in Jesus Christ. I obey what He says because God can be and should be trusted. See, that's what real faith is. So if you notice the word in Hebrews 11.30, it says, After. That word after indicates something preceded the walls falling down. What was it? Well, here it is. It was unflinching obedience. It was undaunted faith. That's what caused the walls to fall down. Remember, it was by faith the walls came down. This word undaunted, by definition, means not discouraged not forced to abandon your purpose or your effort, not given way to fear. It includes further not being afraid or deterred by the prospect of defeat, loss, or failure. And of course, biblically, it's because of the object of my faith. Because what I believe God is able to do and promised He would do. So this is a good word to describe the faith of God's people. The faith that God's people need to have today, this very moment. They move through this world and they confront many issues, many problems, many difficulties. And yet, with all the difficulties the Israelites faced, they didn't stop, they did not quit, they kept on going, they kept on believing God, and they obtained the victory. They saw the activity of faith as God's people began to engage in warfare because they trusted God Himself. So the principal stronghold of the land of Canaan was Jericho. Whether the walls of Jericho were very great or not is really not the important issue here although they probably were. In fact, most of the Israelites never even saw a fortified city. With walls around the city, with usually on top of the walls, were a place where soldiers could post themselves around it, and that was part of the protection of that city. And so the first thing they come to is not just a little old town with a bunch of people. They come to a fortified town with walls in it. And God says, go take that town. Go get that town. Well, how do you do that? With some swords and some sticks and a, a, a gruff bunch of people coming out of the wilderness? How do you do that? See, the principal stronghold was right there, Jericho. And um, what is significant is the extent of Joshua's and the people's obedience to what God tells them to do in order for the walls to come, come tumbling down. You see, if God's people are going to have success in warfare, 
if they're going to be living by faith, they must trust God at the point of his word. We must be tested to see if we're battle ready. And that test comes in how much faith, how have you grown in your faith. And so if you look at Joshua chapter 6, verse number 2, the first thing is that he says that as far as his weapons were concerned was that he believed in the promises of God. It says in Joshua 6.2, the Lord said to Joshua, see, here's the promise, I have given Jericho into your hands with its kings, his king, and its valiant warriors. That's God's promise. You have to believe that. All right, so a walled city, valiant warriors in that city, you know very little bit about warfare, and they have a king, and uh, that king reigns in that city. Second thing, in verse number three, they had to meditate on God's word. It says in verse three of Joshua 6, you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once, you shall do for six days. So this is, remember, this is God's plan here. And the only thing about God's plan, it is not logical. But he's asking Joshua and the people to think about what he is saying to do because he wants to, them to do it in detail. He wants them to carry it out in detail. Also, indirectly, the Word of God, because of the people of Israel, has been working on the inhabitants of Jericho and their responses become evident. And if you look in verse number 1 of Joshua 6, it says this, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. No one went out or came in. Now, you say, okay, they were shutting up their city because they heard what happened to the other kings on the other side of the Jordan that Israel took care of, and they were afraid. Now, why would you be afraid of a bunch of rag-torn people from the wilderness who you can see with your military power and your walled city they could be easily overcome well it's because of the promise that God gave way back when when God told Moses and Joshua listen when you gather the people together read the word of God to them read it to them so they know what I'm going to do so they hear it for themselves so they think about it and meditate on it. So when that day comes, they'll be ready for it. What passage are you talking about? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you'd like to turn there, in verse number 25, it says this. Deuteronomy 11.25. Here's the, what the Lord had already told Moses. It says, no man will be able to stand before you. The Lord, your God, will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you, you set your foot as he's spoken to you. So see, in other words, God had always said, listen, when you get there, when you go to the land, when you're up against the people, I already am going to strike fear in their hearts and prepare their hearts to be already be afraid of you. Well, if fear sets into a warrior, they're already done. You understand that? And God did that. In fact, back in Joshua chapter 2, 
If you notice in verse 24, it says, And they said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into your hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the, the land have melted away before you. In other words, these people were scared to death of Israel. And because what they heard the God of Israel had done through his people on the other side of the Jordan. And they were scared to death. Now, see, so that means something. The people had to think in their mind, here's Jericho before us. This is unable to do uh, be done in, in human ability, in human terms. But this is what God said he was going to do already, so I'm going to have to trust God. I don't have any choice to do it. But see, the people were ready to trust God. But there was another component in their warfare, and it was a third one is in verse number 4 of Joshua chapter 6. And it was this, the awareness of the perpetual presence of God. And I'll look at more of this in a second. In Joshua 6, 4, it says, Also the seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns, horns, notice what it says, before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpet. So so I'm going to leave it right there, but that is a picture of trusting in the presence of God. So the Lord gave explicit instructions to his people, which he demanded implicit obedience if they did not carry out carry out god's word god's way they would fail the lord gave joshua strange commands in this passage of scripture he says in verse number three you shall march around the city all the men of war circling the city once you shall do so for six days also seven priests shall carry seven seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpet. So here's here's the procession. You have the soldiers going out. You have the seven priests carrying seven ram's horns or shofars that they would blow. And of course, remember, the shofars really were kind of trumpets that trumpeted the presence of God. That's what they were used for. There was also trumpeted the presence of war or get ready for war. And then came the ark on the the shoulders of the priest and then the people, a select group of people, not all the people, went. And then the rear guard came up. And so the orders to proceed, here is the orders to proceed, the first six days... They are to proceed once around the walled city each day. That means they're to walk around the walled city each day. All right, one time. And then when they did that, they were to maintain absolute silence. In verse number 10, Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice heard, be heard, nor let your word, a word proceed out of your mouth. So while we're doing this, nobody says a thing. So here they are, a ragtag group of wilderness people going around the city and could you imagine the soldiers on the wall what they were saying well, what are these stupid people doing where are they coming from 
we're going to kill them in, a, in, in just a short period of time. And they're marching around, around our city. Some of that could have been going on along coupled with their fear because they may say after they say that, what if that doesn't happen? So there's the procedure. And then while the priest intermittently blew their ram's horns on the seventh day, silence was maintained as they circled the walls seven times. Then on the seventh day, of course, the priests blew their trumpets on a long blast. And then Joshua, in verse number 5 and 10, commands them to shout. That's his command. Now, that's God's marching orders. Just place yourself in the shoes of these people. They are standing before a walled city that was very great. When the first set of spies sent out by Moses came back with the majority report, the report was evil because they failed to trust in God's word and they came back and report and says, these people are too big, their cities are walled. There's no way we can win against these people. And, of course, God was very displeased with that where it says in Numbers 13, 28, Nevertheless, the people who lived in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. See, the faith, faithless spies saw the very great walled city as unassailable. Here's a definite call to view things with the eye of the Spirit rather than the weak flesh, to contemplate this obstacle by faith and not by carnal reason, would become paramount. And it's paramount in our spiritual lives, too, because we're not going to win spiritual battles with carnal weapons. We have to win spiritual battles. We have to win our battle against the enemy, against Satan, against the flesh, against the world, with spiritual weapons. And that spiritual weapon is God's Word, God's presence, God's power, that's what we trust in. Remember the definition of faith in the book of Hebrews. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. According to human reason, these instructions are not logical. Any military leader knows that a city like Jericho must be taken by force. The city walls are cleared by bombardment. They are scaled by ladders and ropes. The gates are to be destroyed with battering rams. Troops are to be taken by the sword. And Israel is not equipped with these at all. They're not equipped with the logic of these military implements. They don't even have them. And yet Israel believed. See, a good spiritual principle to glean here is a life of faith is a life of obedience to God's directions even when they seem illogical. Even when you cannot even bring them to a logical conclusion or force them to a logical conclusion. Faith expressed in obedience to God's word is always the key to victory. Always. Each one of us will have our strongholds. Each one of us will have our walled cities to conquer. Whatever they may be, they usually come in the form of troubles and tribulations and difficulties in life, hopes not met, people disappointing, health 
going bad, whatever it may be, financial things just dropping out from the bottom, you losing your job, just a crisis that comes in to your life, maybe even overcome by your own sin, and it, becomes, it brings destruction everywhere. Something happens. To some, it may be a difficult family situation or a difficult job situation or perplexing financial problem. To others, it may be some dispositional weakness like indifference or materialism. Or maybe you're a workaholic and you want to get the dream and that's all you do is work and you try to get money for it and it's a vicious cycle. Whatever it may be, the test will be conquered by faith when God gives himself when at least that person gives himself in unreserved obedience to God's word. That's when the victory is won. See, so faith's evidence is obedience. And obedience, in a very real sense, is a weapon for a believer. The walls come down because I obeyed God's word. Something impossible happened because of I obeyed God's word. A second thing, and right there in Joshua chapter 6, is faith's focus. The indispensable sense of God's presence. Boy, don't we need that today? See, we must believe the promise of God's special presence among His people. God's with us here today. No, if you think about it, if God somehow allowed us to see what is unseen, you may have angels sitting next to you. You may see things that you would never believe. God's presence may be here. Matter of fact, God's presence is here. Isn't that the point? God's presence is here. And when I go out to work tomorrow, when you go out to work tomorrow, when you get into your office, when you go to your school, God's presence is there. If you're a believer, this presence of God is in you by the Spirit of God. And so therefore, wherever you go, God is there. But that's an essential element of faith. See, when you're facing the Jerichos of life, God doesn't leave you. He doesn't say, okay, you know enough, you're on your own. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to be present among you. And so, how do I know that from this passage in Joshua chapter 6? Look at verse number 6. It's because of the Ark of the Covenant, my friends. See, verse 6 says, So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Verse 7, before the Ark of the Lord. Verse number 8, before the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord follow them. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant was the most important piece of furniture in the wilderness tabernacle because it was the meeting place between God and man. It was the picture in someone's mind is that as I see the Ark, I see the presence of God amongst us. The Ark signified the awe of God. And in the container of the Ark was the testimony of God, the law of Moses. And of course, God's faithfulness was in there. The manna in the wilderness was put into the ark to show that God provides for his people. But the overall picture is that God is here. And if God is here, 
whom do I have to be afraid of? Because of who He is. See, the Lord was considered all over Scripture to be enthroned between the cherubim. We read about that this morning. The cherubim, the angels. And then in the middle of the cherubim was the mercy seat where the blood was poured over so the relationship between God and the people can be maintained by the blood sacrifice. See, that was very important for people to know that God was amongst them. See, at times the ark was called the ark of God also. But it was all, always the visible sign that the invisible God was dwelling in the midst of his people. See, faith's focus. Faith's focus is on the presence of God. Believers who live by faith in the promise of God's special presence among them are the ones who win the victory that they're going to overcome. In fact, God thought this to be so important. This is what he did for Joshua. Take your Bibles and look at Joshua chapter 5. Joshua did something special. God did something special for Joshua, just like he did for Moses. In other words, God gave Joshua a burning bush experience. For what reason? Because Joshua had to know God was with him just like he was with Moses. Here's this faithful God, second in command all these years, was faithful to Moses. Now Moses is dead. He can't go talk to Moses. Moses talked with God face to face. And maybe Joshua was a little squeamish about what was ahead of them and how he could lead the people. And so maybe he was getting a little bit shaky and so God did something for him. And look what it says in chapter 5 of Joshua, verse 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14. He says, No, rather I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? What is God doing there? You know what God's doing there? This is a, what they call a theophany. Jesus Christ present in the Old Testament. Joshua immediately knew it wasn't just an angel because he bowed to the ground and the angel didn't say, get up. It was God. Just like God said to Moses in the burning bush and told him his name, and what did Moses do? He fell on his face before God, right? And what did God tell him? Moses, take your sandals off because where you stand is holy ground and I'm a holy God and I'm not like you I'm not like man. I don't lie. I keep my promises. And so you have to know that. But I also want you to know this. I am present with you. I am for you. I will fight for you. I will defeat your battles. I will take you into my presence someday. Every Christian has to know that. Or they can't live by faith. We have to know that. That's where we must be. Look at verse 15 of Joshua chapter 5. And the captain of the Lord's 
hosts said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. Did Joshua know he was in the presence of God? You better believe it. But notice the stance the angel, the, the theophany, the angel of the Lord takes. He's got his sword out of its scabbard, drawn. What is he saying to Joshua? Joshua, I'm going to win for you. Don't be afraid of the people. Don't be afraid of the fortified cities. Don't be afraid of the giants. Don't be afraid of things that are bigger than you. You just bask in my presence and obey my word and I will defeat your enemies. That's what God is saying to him. And that's what increases our faith. A knowledge of what God promised, what God will do, and what God can do. That's what faith is. And I need it, and you need it, and this is an everyday faith, beyond salvific faith. So, the priest's horns sounded constantly to herald the presence of warfare, the presence of God among them, and it was God's presence encircling Jericho for seven days. And faith always has to do with God. He is the object of our faith, and his word is the rule and regulator of our faith. So a life of faith is a life that is constantly aware of God's presence and is focused on him. Do you live like that? Do you live with the thought every moment of every day God is present with you? He sees everything you're doing. He knows every thought you're thinking. Do you live in that, the light of understanding that truth? That God is holy, and that what I think and what I do, God sees? And God is a God of compassion and loving kindness and long-suffering, but He is also a God of justice. He will hold you responsible for everything, but He's made provision through Christ Jesus, through His sacrifice. He becomes the substitute for sinners. He dies in your place. He takes the wrath of God. He satisfies the justice of God so you can be set free. He fights those battles on the cross that you and I could never fight and win. He does it. He does it. See, when He does it, I know his presence is with me every single second of the day. If our eyes of faith would be open to realize the spiritual presence of our God, even in our own church, we'd never be the same. Often we fail at this point. We take our eyes off the Lord. We place them on some other resource, some other person, some other scheme, some other thing to find answers, to accomplish our mission, to overcome our problems instead of basking in the presence of God and finding out what He wants me to do in His Word and understanding the biblical truth about Him. Instead of doing that, I do everything else. You do everything else and you miss it. And you get discouraged, and you get depressed, and you stay there. Remember the psalm that we read, David was depressed. It doesn't mean you're not going to ever get depressed, but it means that once he starts thinking again about God, what happens? God rescues him 
from his depression because he begins to see things through God's eyes. He begins to see God's plan for things. See, so this is a very essential component that you must believe in the presence of God every second and every moment of every day in your life. And then there's a third component, and that's the component of faith's reliance. Waiting on God. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 14. It says, The second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this so for six days. Could you imagine? Uh, they had to show restraint. They had to not resort to fleshly ingenuity or weaponry. They had to show restraint. They had to do that for six days. And so they did that. They waited with restraint in verse number 10. They didn't shout. They waited without grumbling in verse number 15. They didn't say a word, but did exactly what God says. So the walls of Jericho didn't fall on the first day or the second day or the third day or the fourth day or the sixth day. They had no immediate visible results of what they were doing would win a battle. The only thing they could do is wait and trust in their God. And brethren, isn't it in the waiting that we get the most discouraged? It's in the waiting. That's where we lose it all. But also when they were waiting, what else happened? They were anticipating, in verse number 20, they were anticipating what God would do. In other words, they could not wait to express their assurance on God where it tells us in the Word of God they are anticipating God coming through on His promises. In other words, they're marching around the city saying, wow, I wonder what God's going to do here. What's going to happen here? God says, yes, when you go in there, I'm going to win the battles, but He didn't tell them how He was going to do it. They could not wait to express their assurance on God. They fully trusted the Lord for what would have to take place. So this leads me to the last thing. The last component of faith is this. It's God's power. I have to believe that God is able to do what He says He's going to do. He has the wherewithal to accomplish everything He says. God keeps the world together by the word of his power. That's what it says in Hebrews. How is he able to do that? I don't know, but you know what? He does it, and every day I experience it. That's what he does. He's able to do it. And when God someday allows the nuclear glue to come apart, it's going to dissolve, it says in Peter. It's going to dissolve. It's just going to... Go away. Why? Because God says so. See, His power, because He is the Creator God. He is the powerful God. He is the God who, when you trust Him, does impossible and miraculous things. Well, what do they do? Look at verse number 16 of Joshua chapter 6. On the seventh day, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout! 
For the Lord has given you the city. But there's something else they were to do. They were to separate everything that was God's for him. And everything else they were to kill. Now this is hard for some people to take. But the reason why God tells his people to go in and kill everything is because they were idolaters. They did every sin imaginable that you can think of on earth without shame. A holy God cannot have that. So God has to hold his judgment upon them. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. The city shall be under the band. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab, and I'll deal with her next time, the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she did. She hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. Verse 19, but all the silver and the gold and all the articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall be put into the treasury of the Lord. And then notice in verse number 20 of Joshua 6. So the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets, and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down, what? Flat. You know what? The word used in Hebrew to fall down means the walls fell in their place. How does that happen? Probably six foot thick rock walls. How does that fall in its place? Because God can say, disintegrate, and they go down, like a curtain goes down. And what happens when that goes on in verse number 20? So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Verse 21, they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Why? Because God said, I am a holy God, and you will rid this place of sin, and you will burn it to the ground. That's what you'll do. So these are some of the important components included in a faith that is successful in conquest and in battle. So then, the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, can be unquestionably obeyed. He can be trusted as permanently present with us. He can be absolutely relied upon. And he can be emphatically shouted about and praised for his unending faithfulness to his people. So by faith, the walls of Jericho fell in their place after, only after, they had circled the city for seven days and trusted in God's presence, in his promises, 
and in his power. That's how we win. That's how we grow in faith. Because all the trust was in God. Amen? I pray that for you and myself. That the only way I can grow in faith today is if the knowledge I have of God increases every single day, right? So you can't be fooling around now. You, you can't be getting off and sitting on the bench. You've got to give yourself to God's Word. You've got to know what it says. You've got to understand what it says. And you have to put it into practice. See, God's not going to allow you to know all this stuff about Him and just do nothing. No, He's going to allow you to come to a place where you stand up in front of a Jericho. Any Jerichos in your life? Any walled cities in your life right now? How's that, how those, how are those walls going to come down? How are those sinful inhabitants going to get out? How are you going to have victory over your own sin? How are you going to be made right with God? You are going to be made right with God. How are you going to do that? You can't do it on your own. You have to do it based on the battles that God fought for us on the cross of Calvary, and He won the battle, the greatest battle that anyone would fight Christ won on the cross. So go to Him and ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to give you a broken heart over your sin. And call on Him as your Lord and Savior. Because He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And believe me, once you become a believer, God never leaves you. You may leave Him, but He doesn't leave you. Right? He doesn't leave you. Why? That's a promise we have in the Word of God. God's going to take us through this life, through our troubles, through our trials, right into his presence. How's your faith doing? How are you doing in the area of faith? You have four people being baptized this morning. I'd like you to stay and witness it. They're going to give their testimonies on what the Lord's doing. This is the first step of faith that people take after they trust Christ as their Lord and Savior, but it's only the first of many they're going to take the rest of their life as God molds and shapes them into the image of Jesus Christ and makes them warriors in this world for his name. I pray that would be you. I pray that would be you. Let's, let's pray together. Okay, those who are being baptized can be dismissed at this time, and then I'll just pray, and then the men can get ready uh, for the baptism. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your people. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I just ask you, Lord, that you would take the word of God and that you would bolster our faith with it and that you would strengthen us in Christ Jesus to know, Lord, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are God like no other, and that you keep your promises and do not lie to us. Thank you, Lord, and I pray that you would bring those who don't know you to faith in Christ, strengthen those who are already in Christ so they become strong soldiers in the battles of life. And I pray, Lord, that in each one that we would win them not by carnal weapons, but by spiritual weapons in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We praise you for all that you've done given. In Christ I ask it. Amen. Thank you.